we're in a transformation and we're, we're trying to get there, but it's still, you know, getting away from uh, automating processes, you know, uh, being more efficient and actually treating uh, or going in a way that you say we, we, we employ human resources. That was kind of what we, what we all have always been doing. And um, I think we need to move more to a, to a, attitude and also to an operational method methodology of empowering people. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. We have been talking for a long time about building a people-centered uh, HR, building a people-centered organization and a people-centered uh, HR as well to contribute to that idea of building a people-centered organization. There's still a gap between just saying it and actually making it happen. So we're gonna have a conversation today about how to build a people, a real people-centered organization, the nuances on how to do that, some strategies and great practices in order to be able to do that with somebody who has been in the space of HR, in the space of people transforming at the people organization in his uh, organization in Siemens. So I am excited to have Tobias with me today to discuss about this. How are you, Tobias? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for, for the invitation. Happy to be here. I'm, I'm actually pretty fine. Looking forward to the conversation. Well, I am excited about this. Uh, and I want to begin by asking you uh, sort of this question. If we are human resources, we shouldn't we have been all for people from the beginning, what, what, what were the obstacles that were preventing us from being a people-centered function rather than a process-centered function? That's an interesting question. I think what's been in the way is um, two things. The one is actually meaning what we say. Yeah. <laughs> so really, really wanting to focus on the human part of human resources and not so much on the resources part of yeah. human resources so that was a long long time or still is in many organizations and also in, in ours i mean we're in a transformation and we're, we're trying to get there but it's still you know getting away from uh, automating processes you know uh, being more efficient and actually treating uh, or going in a way that you say we we, we employ human resources that was kind of what we what we all have always been doing. And um, I think we need to move more to a, to a attitude and also to an operational method, methodology of empowering people. I think it sounds like a good marketing slogan, but actually there's, <laughs> there's, a, lot, there's a lot behind it. Yeah? That you, if you try to empower people in your organization to be, be resilient, to be, you know, to be ready for the future for whatever comes, because you know, things are changing so quickly, then it's something different than you just say, no, I employ someone. You come into the door, you have to work. And when you go out of the door again, you're somebody else. But no, we're all people. You know, we're, we're people. And then since the pandemic, things are, you know, I'm mixing up much more, you know, private life, professional life. So there's no barrier between this anymore. That's maybe the, the, the first obstacle that was there that, you know, very self-centered organization within a company, you know, getting, you know, getting processes optimized and then building apps and tools, whatever. And, um, and the second one is kind of a result of this, or, or maybe it's not the result, it's the cause. <laughs> cause and effect is, actually not listening to the 
people were actually doing this for. Yeah. So we always say we're we're all about the people. And that's what we've always been saying. But in the end, we never listen to how the people are experiencing us as HR and the things we offer. And not only us as HR, but also what happens beyond their HR interactions, how they're experiencing their everyday life. That's something that that most organizations have not been paying attention to. And even if you had, you know, anecdotal uh, you know, uh, answers coming from, from from interviews here or there, you were like, oh, that's very interesting to know. But, you know, we have our IT strategy here. We have this there. We're just going to go that way anyway, regardless of what some people say. So I think not, not listening has also been a great obstacle, which we're trying to overcome. And the third one maybe is not being, you know, being taken uh, like seriously as a part of the organizational strategy moving forward. So not yeah. only HR having a strategy, but also what HR does and what is important for the people in the company is actually a valid piece of the company strategy, which needs to be at the table from, from day one. No. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how do we, we have been responding uh, and, and overcoming those challenges, especially given the, the demands on HR uh, and very particularly over the past couple of years before, because of the pandemic. But there's still a long way, a long way to go for us to be able to reinvent HR and turn it into a, a people, human-centered kind of organization. How do we do that? How do we go about building a people-centered HR function? And I know you've, you, you have a great experience with this because you have transformed the way, even the name of HR at Siemens. So how do, you, how do, we, how do we go about doing this? I mean, I probably would say you're not right if you say we have transformed or I have transformed anything. We're in the process of yeah. transforming or at least trying to get to where we know we need to go, which is, you know, saying people being people centered. I mean, it's easily written on a PowerPoint slide, but, you know, <laughs> what, what is it and, and how do you actually get there? And I, I probably I'll be repeating myself over and over again in these, uh, in these 15 minutes and, and going to the point of, of listening. Uh, of really, um, and that's probably the core, and that's what I'm trying to to, to establish in, in the company is to um, make it part of everything we do to take the people perspective into consideration, not to do everything the people want, yeah, because that's not going to help the organization and the business as a whole, because there's business strategy, there's, you know, some things where we know an organization has to move in the next five or 10 years, which is just a fact because that's how markets develop and so on. But um, taking additionally into consideration, you know, what people want, what they don't want, how they are feeling every day when the, with all the interactions they are having with their, with their tool, digital tools, with people around them, managers, colleagues, with physical environments. So it's all, I mean, that, you know, you know yeah. we all know that it influences how we feel every day. If we get up in the morning and say, oh God, <laughs> another one of these days with these people, or if it's, it's just like you get up and have a good feeling, you know, and that, that kind of influences also how you, how you, you know, engage in your job every day. And I think the key is really to continuously understand what is happening, how this is being perceived by your people and not just a once-off survey saying, you know, what, how do you feel? And then you ask again in a year, <laughs> um, but really um, ideally getting very close to the moments of interaction that people are having every day and saying, you know, without getting on their nerves with too many services, <laughs> you need to put some, some intelligence behind it. Yeah. Um, some human, but maybe also some artificial intelligence sometimes 
to, to really, you know, get, get you at the right point in time. So it actually feels like a relevant question in your moment here right now. And you go like, ah, oh, actually I've experienced this right now. I'll answer this happily. And then we kind of get kind of a, 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 a radar or kind of a predictive maintenance approach to, to people listening in a way that yeah. you say, okay, you can, you can see what is happening in the different spaces from recruiting over onboarding to the everyday work interactions to maybe also offboarding and how this is influencing people's satisfaction and engagement. And so it's, it's a long process of understanding this. And, and so we're, we're also, you know, trying to think big but start small you know, yeah. at different points and really so it's a it's a long effort of getting there over a couple of years i would say to have an infrastructure in place where you can say i i know in more or less real time how my people are feeling and what they need and what they don't need and i can also quickly react to things that are happening yeah. and, and maybe some sentiments that are changing so i think that's it's kind of the core of becoming people centric is to actually know what the people want, what yeah. they don't want, where their pain points are to actually address them. And the second point, maybe if I may add that, I think that's also just as important as gathering the data about, you know, satisfaction, having great dashboards with, you know, uh, um, with, you know, bars going up and down and so on. Uh, that That's good. Yeah. But what do you do then? So yeah. I think really being able to, to act upon what you see and being willing to do this is, is a very important aspect of becoming people-centric. And then also taking the people with you on that journey of changing experiences. Yeah. So basically not saying thanks for the input. We have our great uh -huh. expert team. We're going to lock ourselves up in our room and then we're going to build a great solution. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the way we used to do it. Yeah. Uh, and it maybe worked back then. I don't think it even worked back then. I don't think it even it, worked. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it kind of, it did, you know, it, uh, the, the, the war for talent and everything going on wasn't so heavy back then. Yeah. So maybe people stuck with the company nevertheless. But I think that's changed. And yeah. I think if, if you actually enable people to say, you know what, I can, you know, I can raise my voice in a survey and then I can even be part of a series of, let's say, design thinking workshops moving on. Actually addressing the pain point I mentioned, I can be part of the solution moving forward. Then you feel taken seriously. It's not yeah. just like, throwing your answer somewhere in a, into a black hole and nothing is happening, but you can actually be part of the change. And, and you're, you, yeah, then I think that will make everybody feel just a little bit better every day yeah. if they are part of the change and they're taken seriously. So many aspects and it's, it's a complex. Yeah, well, I, I heard three things, uh, you know, big, three big things from you. Uh, one of them is uh, listening and understanding the people, um, which, I, I want to say that we did it, but I don't think we did it that well in the past. Uh, I think we were pretty much, um, you know, sort of a, a center of expertise that believed that had all the answers to all the problems and never listened to the people and what they wanted. Granted, of course, like you said before, that listening doesn't mean doing everything that everybody wants. You have to put together all the elements and then make decisions. The second element that I heard from you is gathering the data, but you said something like the addendum to that gathering the data, which is acting on the data. It's not just gathering, it's just saying, okay, now we're gonna act on what we see. And the last thing that you mentioned was taking people together uh, with you in that journey, which by the way, I love because all of these ideas of co-creating, co-designing stuff, uh, that 
that's always been important. It's got it's it's become way more important today because people want to be involved in those processes. Tobias, uh, we're getting closer to the end of our of our of our chat, and I think it went by so quickly. I don't I don't even know what happened. Um, but but I do want to ask you one last question to sort of wrap up our conversation. To be able to build this kind of people-centered organization where you listen, you gather and act on data, and you bring people uh, on the journey together with you. What what is HR missing today to be able to realize that vision from a competency perspective, from a capability perspective, from a skill skill perspective? What are we missing that we need to either learn, relearn, you know, uh, in, in order to be able to do this, to bring this to reality? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the answer could, you know, bring us into another 15-minute podcast probably, <laughs> but I'll try to keep it short. I think one major aspect which I learned very quickly, and I only started in the HR area uh, mid of 2020, so I have a background in storytelling and communications and marketing, which comes pretty, it comes in pretty handy here as well. Um But I think one aspect that we need to really learn very quickly is that uh, the experiences people are making every day very seldom have a lot to do with HR. Yeah. So, but, but we are in the position to improve the experiences people are making every day. And we need to look outside of HR much more often. I mean, we have the mm-hmm. construct of a business partner towards the business, but even so then, I mean, do we, do we actually understand how the, everyday uh, work experiences of a sales manager are influencing customer experience, really having an influence on business. So it's really even going outside of the HR boundaries much more often and, and deliberately and, and being more, more open-minded and less, less the HR expert view or the engineer building a tool or a platform view, because I mean, we also love building tools and platforms. Yeah. But I still think a fool with a tool is still a fool. It's just something that can help you um, solve a problem you have identified, but very often the problem that people are having is not within HR, but HR can help solve that problem. So I think, uh, I mean, there's many, many skills that are needed. No, I love this one. Yeah. Of the main is listening, I guess. <laughs> well, no, I, I love this one. And, and, you know, I think both you and I, we get, we get this question a lot about how HR can stay relevant uh, going forward and given all the challenges that we're dealing with. And I can say a billion things about that, but generally I summarize it in one thing, which is get outside of your HR cocoon and, you know, yeah. go out there, learn other stuff that may not have anything to do with HR and then connect the dots. Uh, because nobody wants to have just a compliance policy benefit recruitment person. You know, you got to be able to connect those dots with things that are happening outside of HR, very often way more important than the world of HR, and then connecting dots to be able to deliver more value. So uh, Tobias, thank you so much for sharing these insights with me. Uh, and of course, the, the Hacking HR community. It was great to have you with me today. Thank you for the invitation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. I will see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.